When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Paul Nellis, Associate Professor of History at Carleton University in Canada, and Rosa Salzberg, Associate Professor of Sociology and Social Research at the University of Trento in Italy. And we're here today to talk about their new edited volume, Connected Mobilities in the Early Modern World, The Practice and Experience of Movement, out this year, 2022, with the University of Amsterdam Press. Hello, Paul. Hello, Rosa. How are you this morning? Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Great. Rosa, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks, Yana. I should say, actually, though, I'm I'm an Associate Professor of Early Modern History in the Department of Sociology and Social Research. Ah, I'm I'm an imposter in the Sociology Department, but um, that's, that's very stimulating, too. I can imagine. Yeah, I wondered where I didn't know you to be a sociologist. I wondered when that happened, but I was, you know, no, no, no criticism. Sociology is a field. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a recent move. Actually, I've been there for about the last year. It's, it's, I mean, it's terrific, and it's a great university and a great department. It is quite different, and I have to say, you know, things that we might talk about today that you know, my interest in, in things like mobility and migration and has allowed me, I think, to have dialogue with sociologists. That's quite quite um, fruitful and interesting, but I know I remain an early modern historian for sure. That's good news. That's good news. I'm happy to hear it. It, You know, I speak with a bit of bias, but history is the queen of the disciplines. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely want to keep you in the fold. Um, So Rosa, you are in Trento this morning, yeah? Or this afternoon for you and me? That's right. Yeah. In Northern Italy. Yeah. And Paul, you're enjoying a nice chilly Canadian morning? Yes, uh, it's actually fairly mild here. It's just just hovering above zero, so could be could be worse. Yeah, could be worse. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'm listening, looking at the way you two describe your work. Right. So, Rosa, you uh, talk about mobility, urban history, um, migration, but also print. Right. And you have a history 
in, with the interest of the, you know, you have an, an interest, a history of interest in the history of print. And Paul, you as well describe yourself as you're an early modern person who is, I think it is the uh, intellectual culture of the Renaissance, right? And you have an interest in print. So I think I understand how you two got together to write this book and how you came to know each other. But uh, let me know if I'm right. Tell our listeners how this book happened. Um, you well, guys- as I, as I, I remember it. We sort of, uh, we were both sort of out, outcasts or outliers at a communication studies conference in Venice. Um, and in, I think, Rosie, you were giving introductory or closing remarks and you mentioned mobility and sort of, we sort of picked each other up after, after that and, um, just realized we had a, had a, both had a, an interest in mobility coming from very different perspectives actually, uh, and decided to pursue it through, uh, some conferences and meetings and, and so on. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's not an accident, actually, because I think, we, as Paul said, we did meet at this communications history conference in Venice, and so we both come out of backgrounds more in the history of of um, communication and print and, you know, libraries and reading and those kind of interests, and um, and yet I think that it actually let, led both of us in some ways, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, but to, to think about the connections between the movement of people and the movement of books and ideas and and I was also increasingly moving in that direction in my research so um, I think we felt that there was there was a lot more to say about those kind of connections and that's one of the things that sort of led us to first organizing some panels at the Renaissance Society of America conference in 2017 and then um, another conference in Florence where I was a, a, a fellow for a couple of years at the University uh, the European University Institute um, that that allowed us to sort of bring together some some what we saw as really cutting edge research on on these topics. Great. Um, so conferences and much, much communication, and uh, just the, like an abiding interest in this as well in an ongoing discussion. Um, so what is the what was the historiographical hole you felt you needed to fill? Um, I, well, I think in particular what we we, we really felt like was a um, I kind of need to explore more about the practical aspects and the experience of mobility, of moving around, whether that was on a smaller scale or on in terms of long distance uh, migration in the early modern period. So really thinking about the kind of places and spaces that shaped mobility, whether that was inns or roads or city gates, um, quarantine stations, all of those kind of places. The people, so not just the people who are actually moving, but also the people who kind of facilitated or blocked movement in some way, again, gatekeepers or innkeepers or, you know, ship ship captains, I mean, lots of different people, and and also the material, the materiality of moving. So it's impact on the body, the kind of things that people carry with them, um, the impact of, you know, weather and of bad conditions on the road and physical danger and all of these kind of things. So I think, like, we felt that there was, you know, there's a lot of great work, obviously, on migration and on travel, um, but sort of really, in some cases, lacking some of that uh, gritty <laughs> detail that really allows us to understand more about what it really might have meant to move in that period and felt like to move. Yeah. And in the, I mean, in the book, we, we talk about the everyday mechanics of, of mobility and it's filling in those, 
um, looking closely at those spaces, the practices, processes through which people are are moving around, and just you know, in terms of you know, backing up a little bit in terms of um, the field and historiography and where you know the sort of con- conceptual frameworks around mobility are really coming out of sociology and particular, particularly social geographers uh, for whom mobility is primarily they're really looking at urban mobility, migration, um, looking at that small scale and very localized forms of uh, mobility. There's great work done on, you know, waiting and ferry terminals and, and this sort of thing, airports. Uh, whereas in, Early modern, uh, the early modern field, its mobility tends to be used as a cipher for distance, um, with uh, with the sort of in betweenness, the 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 spaces or the meshwork, another term we use in the in the book, all of all of the fabric, the the microfibers that keep movement together are left out. And so we're left with this picture of, oh, so-and-so is in Lisbon, and then all of a sudden they're in Goa. And, you know, what, but what happened in between? And how did, how did it, what was the paperwork? What were the conditions on ship? What were the institutional structures that allowed all of this to happen? And those are localized. So that's, I guess that's where we're, we're coming from. Yeah, there's a lot there. This book sits at the intersection of a lot of different kind of ideas. And it's it's people moving and like people, the people who move them, the things they're moving, the ways they're moving. There's there's kind of um, things you don't tend to think about when you think about travel. You think about how great it's going to be when you get there, not the micro the micro frustrations of getting yourself from place to place. And this book really deals with a lot of that. Um, and lovely, well done. Um, and some very good, um, really good, some very good articles put together with some great scholars. So you've got this organized in um, moving bodies, crossing borders, global networks. How did you choose that framework? Um, it, it it really speaks to the you know the, one of the major points where you hope to get across with the book. Hope to hope to you know, tools for people to think with is the interconnectedness of different forms of, of mobility. Mm-hmm. Uh, so localized urban mobility, but down to the body. And, you know, there's all of this um, literature on etiquette and dueling and dancing and acrobatics and so on in the early modern Period, which is really concerned with the micro movements of the body and the control of the body, and there and there's a literature on that. But so we're trying to you know explore some of the you know what are the relationships we see this increased emphasis on the control of movement from the body all the way to urban mobility to borders and across borders across empires in this in this period, and so it's really to try to tease out that. Uh, and locate that interconnectedness and see where those spaces of interconnectedness are. So we have the, you know, localized embodied mobility, the sort of more urban and local and regional mobilities, and then the long distance, uh, long distance mobility. Wonderful. So um, how about next, if you tell me what, what is the thrust of the piece you did together? You do the introduction for the volume together. And tell me a little bit how, how it was to work together from across an ocean. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I mean, I think 
you know, as Paul was saying too, he was alluding to this literature also that comes out of particularly the social sciences on which is known as the new mobilities paradigm or the mobilities turn. It's got various <laughs> names. So I think one of our and that that's that's a that's a body of work that I think has inspired both of us that we found very stimulating and I think to one degree or another inspired quite a few of the authors in the volume. Um, so one of the the ideas I think behind the introduction was just to sort of um, to to explain that a little bit, obviously, to to readers and to, to explain how that's influencing some kind of researchers in early modern history and how we think it can be a fruitful way of approaching the past as well as uh, contemporary the contemporary world. Um, but also, as as Paul was saying about the organisation of the book, just to kind of really try and tease out. Um, these these why we need to think about mobility on on these different scales from the body up to the global and and what the sort of interconnections are between these different levels i think so they were our main driving i think uh, ideas do you want to add something to that paul yeah i would i mean i would just go back to our own sort of career trajectories as well whereas roses you know you know, characterize you as a sort of card-carrying social historian, and I'm a card-carrying sort of cultural historian, um, and and so we're we're it was very complementary in in a way, and uh, familiar. You know, Rosa's familiar with literatures that I I really don't know and and wouldn't be able to you know to to get into that in with that sort of uh, that sort of detail. Uh, a friend a friend of mine who has a twin. Uh, describe their childhood. He said, "Well, when you have a twin, you're without completely without fear, right? So because you you look over you look over your twin and say, let's do it, let's do it, and you sort of move towards the the precipice. And I I this is one of the most fantastic collaborative um, endeavors I've been involved with. And I that was what I I felt was like you know sort of we had license to uh, to go a little bit beyond our our normal comfort level, at least for me." Um, having this sort of safety net of of, uh, of a collaborator. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, I mean, likewise, because Paul works, has in recent years worked more on the global history of the Jesuits and their kind of networks of, of mobility and information and things, I that really helped me, um, who I focus mostly on Italy and on Europe in my research, to to sort of start, again, put some of those literatures together and to feel like someone else had those bases more covered than I did um, so that the book still has a... I guess it has a European focus, but was able to actually, by the time we've got the full range of um, of contributors together, also have a pretty good global coverage, I think, which was something that I think we were really pleased about. And then, I mean, in ter- you know, as, as we've said, this has evolved over how many, five years or something, I think, since the initial conversations and conferences. And then just thanks to being able to, you know, periodically get together uh, for a conference, or so we had a little um, sort of seminar workshop in Venice a couple of years ago, again, to just keep the ideas flowing. And then, you know, the power of Zoom and FaceTime, even before the pandemic, has has allowed it to be, um, yeah, a pretty, uh, I think, pretty seamless working relationship, uh, you know, aside from the usual delays and things that come with editing a book. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah, the, uh- postponements, delays, time zones. You know, it's funny, we don't tend to work together as much. Many other disciplines work together. They collaborate from the beginning in all of their work. And um, we don't seem to value that much in, in history, but it's really nice. The times you've been able to work with someone else 
you do, you, your work is better than it would be. And you're, but you do work that's better than the sum of your parts because you have someone there to talk to bounce ideas about. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think anytime we do work with someone else, we always say, you know, we've got to do more of this. And then we go back into our libraries and that's back into the silo. Yeah. <laughs> back to you and your documents. Um, you brought up there in that answer. Another point that I think is very interesting about this book is the the final section, Global Networks. You have um, this has a really broad focus. I mean, the Paul, your piece on the Jesuits and then Sabu Islanian's work as well. Right. And um, for the Chitatramatana's, um, the Franciscan journeys, allow us for this very kind of broad focus of multinational organizations. And it's a cool idea. I like the, the juxtaposition, right, of these little ideas and these huge organizations working together. Um, and what, how did that happen? Serendipity? Uh, yeah, it was, um, I mean, for, as Rose has mentioned, I've been working on the Jesuits and their sort of communication, culture of communication over the last decade, I guess, um, really moving away from earlier stuff on libraries and, and, and print. And, you know, I, I'm just speaking for myself, but, you know, because I'm looking at a religious or a global religious organization and always sort of in the back of my mind, there's always a sort of apology that I'm not working on the, you know, Dutch East India company or something like that. So I think it's really cool that these last three global chapters are all on, on, on religious, global religious cultures, Franciscans, Jesuits, and then, the, you know, this great story of the Armenian uh, alms collectors told by Sabu Aslanian in the final in the final chapter and you know we all all we all three chapters make the point that yes we're piggybacking on the you know on commercial uh, operations commercial networks of transportation and and infrastructure and so on but you know one of the points we make in the in the introduction is that merchants weren't the only people that traveled along these networks and it with you know uh, they were actually in the minority in many cases that, you know, sailors, soldiers, uh, and, and uh, missionaries, uh, and religious, you know, uh, clergy of, of all kinds, you know, servicing people on the, on the ships and so on, in many cases outnumbered the, the actual merchants and moving around. Uh, so yeah, yeah and that, and Rosa, do you have another? Yeah, no, I think the other thing I was thinking of when you were saying that too, is the way that, um, including those essays allowed us also to to bring through something that we were referring to at the beginning was is that the importance of putting together the global and the local so um, and I think it is something that's it's a conversation that's happening a lot in global history at the moment as well as the need to you know uh, the importance of looking at the global but also the importance of understanding how that relates to local uh, contexts and and circumstances and that's something that I think the those final three chapters really allow us to see because on the one hand they are we're talking about massive scales of movement and in some cases people really as you say going Lisbon, Goa, you know really all over the place um, in a relatively short time but on the other hand understanding something about the local cultures and infrastructures of mobility um, is adds um, I think a new put those puts those things in a new light that's very very valuable as well. Mm-hmm. It also allows for the juxtaposition of kind of the material culture and the 
culture writ large as well, that you, it's a nice way to once again, demonstrate that you're talking about a lot of different levels of movement here. Yeah. Um, very nice. And, um, this is just a, a bit on the process of editing a volume. Most of our listeners will never have done it and should never do it. Um, but <laughs> talk, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how you go about editing a volume. So you got together, you're like, hey, this is a cool idea. Let's do this volume. And, and, then, and then the magic happened, and now there's a volume. Well, I mean, in my case, this is actually the first volume that I've edited. I've edited, co-edited some uh, special issues of journals, which are probably it's a little bit simpler in some ways. But um, Paul has more experience than I do. But I have to say, you know, as we've said, it's sort of something that evolved quite organically over a number of years in terms of kind of finding a, a group of authors who we felt were really um, reflecting the kind of ideas and approaches that we were really interested in. In many cases, they're quite young um, scholars, you know, in a sort of um, quite really fresh research um, and and testing them out at, at, at seminars and conferences and things so that we could discuss our ideas together. Um, I think it has, you know, probably all been slowed down by the pandemic as so many academic endeavours have been and just obviously the inability to to get together and also just the complications that it's created for people's lives. But I think one thing that's worth mentioning, though, is that actually that for me in some ways, if we think about the way that the ideas in the book have gestated over these five years, um, in some ways that added a very um, valuable aspect that I think, you know, when you're thinking about a topic like mobility, particularly about global mobility, um, you know, the way that I think the pandemic made so many of us think differently about our, our assumptions about freedom to move, um, you know, and then all of a sudden not having what it means when you don't have that freedom or when it becomes much more difficult to move or even just the links between disease and mobility, which are really um, important and they're there in the book as well. So we have a wonderful chapter um, by Darka Bilic, which is about the this establishment of the quarantine system throughout the Adriatic and the building of Lazaretti or these quarantine hospitals. And, you know, literally during the course of editing the book that it just became more and more evident how how relevant and topical that, that chapter was. Um, but I think in so many ways it just made all of us think, you know, a little bit more about the connections between mobility and also sort of immobility or friction and, you know, the times when things stop and connections break or also the people who, you know, in, in every age but certainly in the early one period didn't have the right to move or couldn't afford to move in comfort or were forced to move, you know, um, in, in the case of people who were persecuted or slaves, for example. Paul, do you want to add something to to that about the process of editing the book? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely you know there was that initial period of um, you know conf some conference panels. Uh, that two day was it a two day session in in Florence that you organized, uh, Rosa, uh, and then sort of sitting back and. You know, finding out well who was available, who had who hadn't already committed their stuff elsewhere, and then you know how did how how would the different you know because we had a lot of different people that we were hearing from, um, and how would how would that all fit together, and then yeah there was some you know back and forth, and then the pandemic hit, and you know everything sort of slowed down. I would say in the 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 last the final stage when we were finally moving to getting a manuscript um, 
to press went incredibly smoothly. It was, it was, the authors were fantastic to work with. Everyone was on time. It was, it was really, it, I was astonished because uh, we've got what, nine, uh, nine chapters. Well, you know, one of them's um, mine plus the, plus the introduction. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of people and everyone was just so, you know, collegial through the whole process. So, and I should say the Amsterdam University Press was, was fabulous to work with. I mean, just from, it was like clockwork moving from one, you know, desk to the other right through, you know, we, we at the told, end of August, we were said, here's the schedule. It's going to be printed in, in December. And that's what happened. It, it you know, through two, two rounds of copy editing, the, the index, um, we, the final stage was when Rose and I did the index. And this is, I was explaining this to my students the other day or talking about this with my students. I said, you know, how many people have used the book index? And they all put up their hand and say, isn't it, isn't it useful? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah. Who do you think, you know, wrote the index, drew up the index? And they're like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, well, the author, most likely. And I said, I said I just, that's how I spent my reading week is, you know, compiling an index for, for, for a book. Yeah, so... But that's when you know you're saying goodbye by the time you're doing the, the index. So it was, and it was oddly, I don't know, I have more, I'm not a crossword puzzle person, but I found the, the index vaguely, you know, compelling to, to do. It was interesting to, to think through the book again. Yeah, it was amazing. It kind of brought up new conversations actually about how you categorize key ideas that come out of the book. So it kind of brought us back to some of the original conversations that we'd had, literally just trying to work out how to kind of put mobility and or migration and or you know, some of these terms into the index. Yeah, if only there were index elves, but uh, there, there are not. <laughs> So that's, that's, I guess that's our advice to potential readers is start with the index. <laughs> yeah, have, um, keep that in mind while you're writing. I mean, yeah. it's just there's so many conceptual issues that you're not thinking about until you do an index either. Like, what is this? What's my category? What does this even mean? It's an, a very interesting process. So it's um, this is, listeners, a very interesting and wide ranging book. You have a lot of you have scholars from all over the globe, which is really nice. Um, and a, a lot of different ideas, and I'm sure it was hard to say goodbye to, but also, of course, the, the wonderful reward of a job well done. <laughs> so uh, what's next for both of you? Rosa, what are you working on right now? Um, well, so, I mean, I've been working for the last couple of years on um, on on Venice, on the history of Venice as a centre of migration and mobility in the early modern period, and that's actually something that's, you know, personally for me, the process of editing this book has been incredibly valuable for allowing me to sort of help put that very focused sort of close range research in a broader context. Um, so I've been working on spaces like inns and lodging houses in Venice and how this kind of infrastructure of commercial hospitality um, helped to to manage and to kind of uh, impact the, the experience of migration and mobility in the city at that time. And um, so that will hopefully be another book at some point. I'm just about to send off a short, um, a very short book on called The Renaissance on the Road, which is a, which is about Renaissance mobility. So really, in some ways, trying to encapsulate some of the ideas 
um, that we've also put into this collective volume and that's coming out with um, the Cambridge Elements series in uh, hopefully early in the new year. So, yeah, it's been personally sort of tacking between the, the, the very focused individual research and this collective Converse, bigger, broader conversation has been very stimulating and has really helped me, I think, to advance my individual work as well. Wonderful. All right, Paul, how about you? What's next? Uh, well, I'm, I'm uh, completing a book on Jesuit communication and global communication in the 16th century. Uh, so that's looking at both at the Roman and then the sort of movement, the paperwork, generation of paperwork and the papal curia, uh, but then also the sort of global information culture of the of the Jesuits in, in the second half of the 16th uh, 16th century and that's framed around a sort of micro history of the first permanent secretary of the um, of the Society of Jesus uh, who's this very personable often very sort of off the cuff uh, amusing um, Spanish Jesuit uh, Juan Alfonso de, de Polanco uh, so that's and that the so the subtitle of that book is writing mobility and distance in the making of the society of Jesus. So a lot of my thinking about mobility has come out of uh, thinking about that book and putting that that book together and looking at the sort of the infrastructures and particularly the sort of paperwork about around mobility in the early modern period, which in the volume Cebu Aslanian talks quite a bit about as well. Uh, and then the sort of the next larger project after that is following up on my piece in the book, which is on Agnes Day, with these sort of wax, <clears throat> papally blessed wax medallions that were circulating in the early modern period on the sort of global trade and devotional objects more more generally. Um, so relics, I mean, relics people have looked at, but relics, rosary beads, there was a global rosary bead um, trade, hard to hard to trace. Um, Agnes Day, and, but images, Roman images as well. Um, and again, to see those, you know, see that as a cluster of objects that move move together. And so it's more, more moving towards the sort of material, material culture um, side of mobility. Wow, I'm I'm looking forward to reading this work. I'm much. This was uh, I did not uh, I didn't expect the volume when I stumbled upon it. I wanted to read it, and so of course I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, and I really enjoyed just, just I like thinking about these things in this new way and putting putting these ideas next to each other. So listeners, once again. The book is Connected Mobilities in the Early Modern World, The Practice and Experience, Practice and Experience of Movement, um, edited by Paul Nellis and Rosa Salzberg, who have so graciously joined me uh, today to talk about it. So uh, that's Amsterdam University Press. It's out now. You can follow the link in on our website. Um, and the, to the two of you, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a really lovely chat. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jenna. That was lovely. All right. Bye-bye.